Hello everyone and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on the novel Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and the video game Control. Warning, spoilers ahead. How have you been this week? This week's been good. Getting back into the rhythm of everything after my vacation. Um, I just bought tickets to come to your area. So um, I'm looking forward to that immensely. That'll be towards the end of August. Um, Or mid-August. Yeah, you said that was a spontaneous purchase? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with... The way that plane tickets, so my schedule in the fall semester is going to be very difficult because I'll be teaching. So I would only be able to take a trip from like Wednesday to Monday. So I kind of wanted to take a longer trip before I start teaching and doing all of that and then have one shorter trip after that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I'll be out in that area working remotely. Awesome. But yeah, that that was kind of my week. Um, so now I have just something really nice to look forward in the next three weeks. So mm-hmm. that feels good. Because it's really hard to kind of like feel like you're slogging through and then yeah. not have anything to look forward to. So that's really nice. I've been watching a lot of Fringe still. I'm on season five out of five now. So mm-hmm. We're almost wrapped up with that, but yeah, yeah. I I watched a comfort show this week actually, Ooh. which is not my general mo, which means I I'm are having you a okay? troubled week. <laughs> <laughs> Just very stressful what times did you at watch? work. Um, I watched. I started rewatching Ted Lasso, the most oh. comforting comfort show of all time. Nice, basically. God, what a show! Yeah. Ted Lasso is just so pleasing mm-hmm. and comforting. What a great cozy little show. I'll have to talk about that at some point. Yeah. I've definitely. been considering have, putting it on the list because it, I feel so. I, it's still just as good the second time around. So oh, good. maybe that'll be a preview for future weeks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I actually just found time to go see Nope. With one of Did my you? friends. So I haven't gone yet, but we're going <gasps> next Thursday. Yeah. I was like, how dare you didn't, how dare you not tell me what no, you thought? <laughs> I just, I like reached out and scheduled something so that I could go see oh. it before it's out of theaters. Because Wonderful. by us, it's already like leaving the what? mainstream theaters. That's crazy. It's like only the indie theater still has it, so... <laughs> I miss that cinema, oh, that independent I cinema, so much. I haven't I'm, been. Um, God, it's the best. I don't know the last time I went to go see a movie there. I think it might have been when you still lived here, which is a crime. Yeah. Yeah, I think the last one we went and saw was Green Knight, and I don't think I've been back since. Whoa. Yeah. I think that's the last time I was there. Yeah, because I only saw one more film in theaters not before at that theater left. yeah yeah before i left because it was in between delta and omicron yes and we went and saw dune dune yeah, yeah. 
Oh, what a fantastic time that was. That was a good, that was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've had a troubled week, but... I've had a troubled week. Good, good comfort media. Mm-hmm. And now I can finally talk about this book that I've been hyping up to you. I'm excited. I've seen it on the shelves and I've been very intrigued by the cover. It's a very nice cover. Oh, Um, yeah. I mean, it's got the wave. Yeah. It's okay. So I'm my piece of media this week is the novel Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And this is a book that just came out this month. We're recording this in July of 2022. So it's Uh, pretty new, but I saw it was like pinging all over my radar the week it came out. I saw it come up on the Libby app and I read the synopsis of it and was very intrigued by the synopsis. So I put a hold on it. And then I heard John Green talking about it. Actually, he's actually the very first poll quote on the book jacket which is awesome, and he gives a really glowing review of it. And then I heard him speaking about it, I think, on his pod, Dear Hank and John, and just gave it such a glowing review that I was like, hmm, I really respect John Green as a person, and I already know that I am interested in the synopsis. And then it was featured in the newsletter for my local independent bookstore that I get. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) that's three things on my radar in like a span of 24 hours. That means I have to potentially have to get this. Mm -hmm. So I went to the bookstore and I did my final test because I try very hard not, I'm trying very hard currently not to buy a ton of hardback Mm -hmm. books. So that means waiting a year or so, unless I'm super compelled to read them in paper right away. And the final test, after all of that um, buzz I heard about it, was like, go to the store and read the first page. Mm -hmm. And if it is compelling, then you can buy it. (laughs) That's a good litmus test. And I definitely found it compelling. I was like, okay, I have to get it. And so I got it and I started reading it. And... I want to say it only took me three or four days to read, and it's a 400-page book. So that's a pretty strong pace for me, like working full-time and doing other things. And I'm not surprised it took me that short of a span of time because I found it very compelling throughout. Mm -hmm. It was like a page-turner for me, and it's not like a mystery or a thriller or anything like that, but the investment in the characters was so propulsive to me that I was like, I need to find out what happens next, just in sheer interpersonal terms. So, in terms of genre, would you put it mm-hmm. in like contemporary fiction or something like that? Yeah, I would just say general literary fiction. Okay. Cool. But the basic premise or plot of the book is that it's following two childhood friends uh, named Sam Mazer and Sadie Green, and they meet as kids in California during the 1980s, and they strike up a really close friendship, and a lot of that friendship 
is based on playing video games because they're both like really big fans of Donkey Kong and Mario and those types of games that were available at the time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their early childhood friendship is based on playing those games together. Uh, however, they have a really serious falling out and they don't speak for many, many years until they, by coincidence, meet each other again as college students while Sam is attending Harvard and Sadie is attending MIT because those universities are basically neighbors in Boston. And so they're attending college in the 90s and they sort of rekindle their friendship by way of starting a collaborative project together where they are developing and designing and programming their own video game. Oh, cool. And that video game becomes really successful. And so after that happens, you see how their relationship as friends and partners Mm -hmm. in this um, creative space how that relationship morphs and transforms and changes over the course of many years. Mm -hmm. So the story sort of spans about 30 years worth of time, starting from when they're kids into adulthood and then for many years across early adulthood. Mm -hmm. And you get to see a lot of their creative process working together along with their producer Mark Swantanabe he evens out the triad the three of them are like this really key creative team and they just create all of these different worlds together and have a really beautiful collaborative relationship developing these games and developing the stories and trying to work out what the message of these games should be and how they want to communicate it and making decisions about really minor details in games that can hold a lot of meaning and sort of doing these things as they are growing as people and dealing with their own issues For example, Sam has uh, chronic pain from an early childhood injury, so Mm -hmm. he is dealing with that throughout a lot of the book. Uh, It's a recurring issue for him, and keeping that pain internalized is is something that he deals with uh, across his lifespan and kind of informs a lot of his character and how he chooses to interact with people. Mm-hmm. While you also see Sadie Green navigate this space as a video game developer, as a woman, and how that impacts her relationships with everyone else mm-hmm. in that um, in that area. And so it's a really cool book for anyone, I think, that's not just interested in video games. Like, if, you're, if you like video games, I think you would love this book. Mm-hmm. But I also think a lot of the concepts that they talk about and a lot of the work they put into what they're doing extends to 
basically all types of storytelling. So I could easily see their creative process in terms of developing the stories of these games. You could easily transfer that to, say, like writing a book mm-hmm. because you're you're you have all the same goals, essentially, of how do I communicate these ideas most effectively? And does this work together? And what do you think of these ideas and how I'm conveying them in X, Y, and Z ways? Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that just because I'm really interested in storytelling and building worlds and how fiction is constructed, essentially. And so I just... I don't want to go through more plot than that. Mm-hmm. That's basically what you can read on the book jacket. Okay. Um, but obviously, it's like I said, it spans a lot of time. So many, many things happen. And you meet a lot of characters outside of those central three. Mm-hmm. But I have a few basically spoiler-free things that highlight what I really liked about this book. Um, so... I really liked Sadie Green, the character, a lot. I liked her the most probably because I found her really relatable, Mm -hmm. especially in the chunk of time where she's in college. I really thought that was really well done. And I don't know. She was really cool. (laughs) What stuck out to you about her in college especially? A lot of things. Her relationship to her classmates, her relationship to uh, this one particular professor she has in her game development, like advanced game development class, and her kind of insatiable appetite for the feedback that he gives her. Oh. And things like that. I really liked the game she developed (laughs) in college. Mm -hmm. Um, So in this course, she's taking this advanced game development course to, they have to develop two games. And throughout this whole book, you get very vivid descriptions of a number of different games, Uh both games that our team of interest is developing and other teams that they know. And I mean, the author, Gabrielle Zevin, I think it's incredible that she conceived of all of these different games because they're so well thought out and believable. Like, I think Mm -hmm. they're completely believable as playable concepts. But my favorite game of probably the 10 plus games described in this novel is the game Solution that Sadie Green turns in for her final project in that class. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really cool and I wish it was a real game (laughs) I thought it was really badass so is this um the author's debut novel or is it no okay she's written a number of other novels I think this is maybe her fourth or fifth gotcha okay I was curious about that yeah it's the first one of hers that I've read Mm -hmm. and like I said I really love the depictions of the creative process that they go through Mm -hmm. And I liked that the pacing was really good. And like I said before, I was really compelled to read it very quickly. um, Just because I wanted to know what decision someone was going to make or something like that. Uh And a really good thing about the book is that you get alternating perspectives between 
Sam and Sadie throughout these different periods of time. So you are seeing their perspectives individually, and at times you're seeing their perspectives across like the very same span of time and the same key number of events. So Uh you get one person's perspective on why they were acting a certain way, and then you see it from the other person's perspective. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that sheds a lot of light on to how these flaws or these cracks sort of start to develop in their, in their friendship and in their partnership, in oh. their gaming company. But I thought it was extremely valuable having those multiple perspectives. That's related to the next thing that I really like, and it's that there are many textured, complicated interpersonal relationships in this book that are hard to define. They're not a very straightforward type of relationship that you can say, oh, this person is this to that person. Mm -hmm. There is so much detail and complexity that the author builds into these relationships over time Mm -hmm. and shows how they transform and shows how even really small choices can make these relationships very complex. So for example, Sam and Sadie obviously have a very complex and shifting relationship over the course of the book. Sadie and her professor Dove have really a really interesting relationship that changes and shifts and Sam and Mark Swantanabe, their producer, have a really interesting shifting relationship. Mm-hmm. I just thought the richness of how complicated those relationships were was really well written and really helped the reader understand where both parts of each of those dyads were coming from Mm -hmm. and why it was a complicated relationship and why it wasn't any one person's fault exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, But through all that complexity, you really care about a lot of the characters. Um, I really, not only did I really like Sadie's character as well, but I liked Marx's character Mm -hmm. a lot too. And so seeing how all of these relationships become sort of entangled it really um, keeps your interest over time Uh throughout the book so those are kind of the really key overarching non-spoiler elements that I thought were really standouts for this book and I wanted to highlight two standout chapters that were just absolutely incredible (laughs) the first chapter I want to highlight is chapter seven, which is called The NPC. And if you've read the book and that name doesn't mean anything to you, the way I think about this chapter in my mind is the chapter where you are the strawberry thief, which only makes sense if you've read the book. Mm -hmm. But if you've read it, you know exactly what I mean. And that chapter is incredible. Mm -hmm. It's not written like all of the other chapters. It's mostly in second person and it's beautiful and it is crushing and it is phenomenal. Hmm. What a chapter. That's very intriguing. Yeah, it's really good. 
Another chapter I really like is chapter nine, which is called Pioneers, and the entirety of that chapter is described in gameplay, and I thought that was really beautiful, and I loved how a lot of the, because the story is told exclusively through gameplay, the the symbolic nature of everything happening in the game was really well done. Um, I think you would actually like that game if it existed in real life. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot like Animal Crossing. I and love it. <laughs> that, um, and Stardew Valley. Yeah. And the Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, overall, the book was really, really moving in a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. And I definitely cried while reading at least one part, perhaps more, mm-hmm. which is saying something because I don't normally cry dur- during books, but definitely did during this one, which mm-hmm. is great. That's a <laughs> that's high praise. <laughs> I have a question about like yeah. the general tone of mm-hmm. the book. Like, what did it leave you feeling? It left me feeling like the world is not that bad of a place because there's people in it that are trying to do interesting things. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Even though these people are fictional. <laughs> I mean, but the author There's gotta is, be someone out there. Yeah. The author, through the characters, is doing something like that. Doing something creative and different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Gabrielle Zevin is doing something very interesting on many levels Mm -hmm. in this book. Not only is she inventing perhaps 10 different games and sometimes describing you the game um, to completion, but she's also, she does this thing where she really effortlessly ties in references to classic literature and famous works of art Um, the strawberry thief being one of them, Mm -hmm. but also the wave, which is the, the piece of art that's the cover of the book and also classic works, um, like Emily Dickens poems or a specific line rather from an Emily Dickens poems that becomes a literary motif that Mm -hmm. repeats throughout the book and comes to have very, very deep meaning across the course of the story. And so every time that line returns, it's really, really meaningful, Um, as well as a specific line from the Iliad Mm -hmm. that becomes absolutely devastating. And I, before this, I couldn't give a fuck about the Iliad. Like, (laughs) I'm not a classics person, Mm -hmm. but now I'm like, wow, I, I think about this frequently. Oh, wow. So her use of repetition for those motifs is, wow, it's Uh incredible. Like if I were to make a video essay about this book, that's probably the topic I would choose Uh to use this book to illustrate is repetitious motifs of other works and how you can use them to add emphasis and layers of meaning and just really build a moving story. It's just an incredible book. And I couldn't 
recommend it more. I think it's great. I think it works really well on every level. I think it has really great insights into human nature. And I think if you're interested in any way in doing or having creative endeavors, then it could be really meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds really good. I feel like I have a harder time figuring out if I'm going to like literary fiction as opposed Mm. to a different genre that I'm like more compelled to read. I'm typically more drawn to sci-fi or horror books. It seems like the content of the book dips um, into so many different video game concepts that it would Mm -hmm. be almost like stepping into a whole different world, which is what I'm looking for in sci-fi and horror and stuff like that. Yeah. And it is a cohesive narrative. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like it isn't completely experimental in like a House of Leaves sort of way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. What Gabrielle Zevin does is just so um not engrossing, but you just get so sucked into the worlds that she's describing mm-hmm. and they bolster the points that she's making so well and also just illustrate i think to my knowledge trends in video gaming and pop culture and how we interact with pieces of media that are created for us mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much going on. There's so many layers of commentary in this book, and she just weaves them together so deftly mm-hmm. that uh, it's I can't even begin to unravel them and describe them. Yeah. But I don't know if you would like it, but I highly, highly recommend that you try it. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. I think that's all I have to say about it. My piece of media this week is a video game that um, my husband Scott and I have been playing through called Control. So for context, my husband and I are currently long distance. So one of the things that we like to do is pick a game to play on our PS4 and then um, stream it via Twitch Uh, to each other and kind of chat on FaceTime while we play through a game together. So we decided to play through Control because we'd heard really good things about it. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. It's definitely a lot more um, complex and there's going to be like a lot to unpack that I won't be able to do in this podcast, but uh, it, it was definitely a really fun game to play and I highly recommend it. So this game was originally released in 2019 and it was published by 505 Games. The developers of the game are Remedy Entertainment, who are also known for their Alan Wake game, which is set in the same universe, but Um, follows a different character and kind of a whole different plot line. Um, I know that some of the expansions for Control kind of tie together the two games, um, but I have not played through the expansions, so I'm just focusing on the main game 
And this game was, for anyone who cares, this game was rated <laughs> uh, 9 out of 10 on Steam, which is wow. a pretty high rating. So this game is very up my alley, especially we're recording this the week after we talked about Fringe. So thematically, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on a, I'm on a roll here. So the general premise for this game is it opens in a government building and the building houses the Federal Bureau of Control. And this is a branch of the government that is secret, obviously, um, and they've been tasked with identifying unexplained phenomena, investigating it, and containing anything dangerous. So I'm going to kind of define a couple of terms first. That way we can kind of use them going forward. So in this video game's world, there are events called altered world events, and they refer to them as AWEs. These are events where our reality is kind of um, shifting. There's like dimensional overlaps. And these are events that are kind of altering reality in a way that can be dangerous and can change normal objects that are just like sitting around your house into altered objects or objects of power. So one thing that's really cool is that the Federal Bureau of Control is contained within a building called the Oldest House. And the Oldest House is a place of power. So it's basically like an object of power, but an entire building. So the Oldest House has interdimensional shifts that can happen really frequently. And because of this, there is like no computers really... Um, everything looks like it's from the 70s in mm-hmm. there. Um, they mostly work on typewriters and everything is very like standardized because when an altered world event happens or kind of an interdimensional shift, it can alter these objects. And if all of the objects are the same, it's easier to tell if they've been altered. So you can like walk up to a vending machine And you'll see that all of the packages of potato chips and cookies are like white with black lettering that just say cookies or chips. And uh, I thought that that was a really interesting, interesting aesthetic. They don't, one thing that this game does is it doesn't like hand you all of the information. It leaves a lot up to you to kind of parse out or decide what you make of this. Um, Mm -hmm. What would that look like when there, if there were an interdimensional shift for that vending machine? Like, how does that make it more obvious when it happens? I don't know. That was just my interpretation. I'm not 100% sure. And they don't give you a lot of examples of just normal everyday objects being changed. Mm-hmm. But you can, like, walk around and explore and look at the billboards. Like, they've got cork boards where people are putting up notices and stuff like that. And it'll say, like, does this stapler look weird to you? Report it to your direct supervisor because it could be an altered object or something like that. So Mm. um, it's 
clear that like people are trying to keep track of that because it's more likely to happen in this building just because mm-hmm. it is a place of power and it's kind of almost like a relay station for a bunch of different dimensions. Um, I think I get what you mean now. Yeah. And now I understand the standardization. Mm-hmm. So basically the FBC is dispatched for any kind of AWE and they have to go find any altered objects, any objects of power and take them back to the oldest house and kind of find containment methods for them and study them and try to understand what is causing this. And so you are playing as Jesse Faden, who is drawn to the oldest house by a entity that she's like talking to inside of her head. So you can kind of Mm. hear her thoughts and she's talking to this entity that she calls Polaris. And slowly you start to uncover who Polaris is and what kind of uh, happened to like link Jesse to Polaris. But Jesse enters this building and the oldest house isn't something that you can just walk into. You have to know it's there and know what you're looking for to find it. So, That's um, fun. yeah, I think it's really cool. It kind of makes me think of like men in black, the like initial building that, uh, Will Smith's character goes to. So when you first walk in, It's clearly like a government building. They're like security metal detector type things, but it's all unmanned. It's very like eerily empty inside. So um, you have to kind of explore a little bit and eventually you stumble upon the director's office. So the director is kind of um, an appointed position in the oldest house and in the FBC. And the director is appointed by a entity called the board. And the board is an astral being. So it lives in the astral plane, but the oldest house has direct connections to the astral plane. So um, the board is actually kind of giving instructions to the FBC and, Mm -hmm the board has to deem you worthy to be director. So Jesse stumbles upon the director's office, finds him dead and Mm -hmm. is kind of drawn to pick up his weapon, his gun. And um, doing that kind of triggers the sequence where she is talking to the board and the board says that um, only the director can wield the service weapon, which is mm-hmm. an object of power, and the board deems you worthy of using mm-hmm. the service weapon. And once you have gained control of the service weapon, you become the director. So Jesse picks it up, has to complete some kind of challenge to bind it to herself, and mm-hmm. then she is now the new director of the entire FBC. And then once she becomes the director, she finds out that there is a threat that has invaded the Federal Bureau of Control called the Hiss. The Hiss takes over people's minds and um, kind of makes them float up into the air. 
And they chant this, um, I don't even know. They just, like, chant these words all in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's very unsettling. And then they become enemies. They, like, spawn from the air and they'll drop down and fight you throughout the game. And so now that Jessie is the director, she has to figure out a way to stop more hiss from entering the Federal Bureau of Control and defeat the hiss that are already there. Mm-hmm. There is a small group of employees that have been protected from the hiss by um, this piece of equipment that their lead researcher designed, but they were like costly to make, so only a few people have them. And it's not clear exactly at first why Jessie is not affected by the hiss because she doesn't have this essential piece of equipment that protects her from the hiss's um, mental takeover, I guess. Mm-hmm. But because she is linked with Polaris, the like entity from the very beginning, it protects mm-hmm. her from the hiss. Interesting. So there is a reason that Jessie is able to be director and... There's a reason that she is um, being, like, drawn to the Federal Bureau of Control. So when Jessie was a child, she lived in a town called Ordinary. And in Ordinary, there was an altered world event where um, there was an object of power called the slide projector, which, when slides were inserted into it, could open up doorways to different dimensional planes. And through some unfortunate circumstances, all of the adults in Ordinary disappeared. They just vanished. And all that was left were like a couple of children. So Jessie and her brother put in a slide that opened up a portal to where Polaris was living and Polaris told them how to shut down the slide projector and to kind of stop this um cycle of destruction of ordinary and in doing so Polaris also bound herself to Jesse and when the Federal Bureau of Control showed up to kind of contain this event they found Jesse and Dylan her brother who had also been exposed to this altered world event. And they, since there were no adults left in Ordinary, they were going to take Jesse and Dylan back to the Federal Bureau of Control and kind of groom them to be director replacements once the current director grew older. Wow. Um, so they call them like P6 and P7, but Jesse escapes and kind of lives a normal life, but then... Her goal is to, like, come back and rescue her brother. So now Jessie has kind of returned, and she has become the director, and the rest of the game is just her trying to figure out um, how the hiss are getting in and how to stop that and also rescue her brother, who has been infected with the hiss as well. But Mm. he still has a lot of, like, sentience, which other people don't have. Um, So there's something special about Dylan as well. Right. So that's the general gist of the game. Um, It is kind of a complex world. So that was, that was a lot of information. Um, 
and some of it you probably didn't need to know. But I think the premise is really interesting. There were lots of things that I really enjoyed about the game. The oldest house, so I read some like reviews online about like critiques of the game and it's interesting because a lot of people conceptualize there being two main characters and the first main character is Jesse Faden and then the second main character is the oldest house because they say that the setting itself is so rich and interesting that it is almost a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting as a way to conceptualize it. And I don't disagree I think that the oldest house is such an interesting place to explore. Even if there wasn't plot, it would be so fun to explore the oldest house. And there's a lot that's left unexplained. And I think that that's good because the FBC wouldn't understand the oldest house, like all of its intricacies. They just made it their headquarters. So I I do like that there's a lot left unexplained in the game. Also, the other dimensions that you access through the oldest house are really interesting. The astral plane, it's very artfully done. I think that it just has a very aesthetically pleasing look to it. And yeah, it's just a very interesting, almost like platforming type world like you're going from level to level and it's just a very different setting because there's there aren't any objects it's just these like black blocks that come up and form and meet you and Hmm. um there are different like enemies that you have to fight with whatever new power you're getting but you basically go into the astral plane to um get new abilities so I think there's like three main abilities. You have like levitating, so you can basically fly, and then you can create a shield and also use telekinesis to throw things at your enemies. And the abilities are, I prefer the abilities to just like having a third person shooter type dynamic. I think Mm -hmm. that it makes the game a lot more interesting and fun to play as opposed to it just being a shooter. Right. But yeah, I thought that was really fun. I love that basically you like wander around and you can pick up different memos that have been typed out and they give you additional context for all of the different objects of power that you're seeing. And it really enriches the world a lot. Sometimes it can be tedious to have a lot of... uh, additional content to pick up and read through and sure but i thought that the way it was done in this game enriched the experience i thought that it you could have not read them or read them and you wouldn't have been missing too much it's not like it was essential but it gave you some really good flavor uh text about all of the different events that have been going on and they were written in like kind of a believable way some of them are like personal memos from person to person and they've got like a lot of humor in them and they're fun to read so I liked that aspect of the game and I really love a game where you're like running around looking for additional content I think that it 
kind of breaks up the monotony of just fighting all the time. So that was fun. Oh, and the environments. I know I talked a little bit about like the astral plane being really Mm -hmm. pretty, but the environments are really detailed and I thought they were really pretty. I don't know. Have you played any of Last of Us or watched any playthroughs of that? Yes. Okay. I love the environments from Last of Us, and I think that's like the peak of (laughs) video game post-apocalyptic type environment. Right. Um, And it's like so much fun to explore that. But I think that this game did a really good job with that as well. It's like a very detailed environment and very pretty and in areas where it's like run down and covered in mold it's still like really Mm -hmm. interesting and visually impactful there's also an area of the game called the black rock quarry and it's basically just this like quarry but when you walk out and look up there's all of these like stars and you're just looking up at the the night sky and space and it's just so cool There's also, when you're, like, on your way to different um, dimensions in the game, you have, like, this way station at a motel. And basically, you have to, like, solve little puzzles to Mm. get to the different dimensions, which is fun. That's so fun. I think it's, like, a really good combination of a couple of puzzles here and there, a lot of, like, fighting and more of like a third person shooter aspect of the game and a lot of really good plot that you uncover at a good pace throughout the game. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought that it works really well. You don't get too much like interpersonal connection with the characters, but there are characters that really stand out. So the head of research at the Federal Bureau of Control is a man named Dr. Casper Darling. And throughout the game, you uncover different, like, videos that he created to explain different concepts to the staff. And I thought that was a really clever Hmm. and interesting way to do info dumps about different aspects of, like, the oldest house or, like... Mm -hmm what you're going through it so it's almost like corporate training modules or something like dr Um, marvin candle style from lost yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Um, that guy they have real actors in those videos so it's kind of merging obviously like animated characters with like real videos of real people so Hmm. i thought that that was really interesting and something i hadn't seen before I kind of liked the live action component and also the videos of Dr. Darling get more and more unhinged as you like kind of go through everything. So uh, it's kind of, it's a lot of fun to make inferences about this character and the kinds of pressures that are on him. And then there are also these other videos that you stumble upon called Threshold Kids and it's like a children's program. Mm. Um, but they're terrifying. They're mm-hmm. like actively scary. <laughs> um, I was like, oh God, is this a horror game now? I don't know what's happening. Um, That's but it was awesome. very spooky. Um, and I think that those are also Dr. Darling getting like more and more unhinged 
And he started creating these, like, puppet shows for kids. Anyways. Oh, yeah. The last thing that I really liked about this game was I was very intrigued by the board. um, Yeah. As a character. Because, basically, when you're interacting with the board, you just see it as, like, this upside-down pyramid. This upside-down black pyramid. Oh, I saw that in the trailer you sent me. Yes. And when it talks to you, it kind of has like a very distorted uh, speech and you couldn't just pick out words. But then there are subtitles underneath of what it's actually saying. Very fun. And it kind of almost reminds me of Arrival and um, Mm. specifically when they're trying to work out the language that the aliens are communicating with and how to communicate with those aliens. Yeah. Because when the board speaks, it will say, it'll have like two meanings for the same word in its language. So it'll say, um, gosh, I need an example. Sorry. I cannot just use my brain to come up Mm -hmm. with an example. And the board is a single entity. Yes. Okay, so, for example, it it says, we advocate slash facilitate this. And so the same word means advocate and facilitate. Um, oh. Or... Yeah, that's, like, exactly like a rival. The board is A-OK slash intact. It's like saying, like, we're fine. No, that's exactly like the part in Arrival yeah. where the, the man in the helicopter asks her what the Sanskrit word for war translates to mm-hmm. warfare Ooh. yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i just thought that the language was really intriguing and oh gosh i just really liked that aspect of it i thought that it added to this like the mystery of this being that we're like mm-hmm. trying to understand and is important but also you have no idea what it is but it's clear that the board is like directly responsible for this place of power like they're they're connected so like the board created the building that the the fbc is located inside of right oh gosh and the board is just like it's really funny to kind of read some of the the dialogue that it's saying to you it, it'll say, like, you can hang up now, please. Fun. <laughs> like, you are dismissed. Yeah. Please do not talk to us anymore. Um, that reminds me a lot of the board from Severance, the TV show. Oh. That I covered in episode one because mm-hmm. in that weird um, company that everyone works for in the show, there's you know, a board that is just referred to as the board, meaning I think you're meant to infer the board of directors. Mm-hmm. And you only hear from them through a speaker and or through a headpiece. And they <laughs> often have the same sort of approach to interacting with employees where mm-hmm. uh, the you'll be being fired by the board but then no matter what you say the response is like the board is no longer on the call or like the board is not uh giving input to this meeting today Mm -hmm. or something like that 
Hmm. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a rich world. Like, I could play this game again and get so much more out of it a second Mm -hmm. time, I think, just because I would have the context for what I'm seeing and what I'm discovering. So I think that it will be almost even more fun to uncover everything for a second time. If you were to do it a second time, would it be very different? Like, are there enough decision point branches to make it different or no um it's it's very in the same way that um i was i was going to say in the same way that like last of us only has one outcome that is how this game is but one thing that i do like about this game is that it's a little more open world than um last of us you're not like Hmm. Um, following as much like this is where the game wants me to go right now. You can kind of like explore as much as you can with what access you have. Obviously the game is trying to steer you in one direction, but there are like side quests that you can go do and stuff like that, which I really enjoy. So in that sense, I liked it better than the gameplay in like The Last of Us. That's really cool. I really want to watch a playthrough. You should. Yeah. You sent me one of the trailers to watch before we recorded tonight. And you sent me the world mm-hmm. trailer for this game. And I found it really, really, really engaging and interesting. And like something I would absolutely love to watch. Um, so I'm definitely going to find a playthrough. Yeah. Um, it was funny because you were watching me watch the trailer. Yeah. And as soon as it was over, I was like, wow, this is reminding me of so many things. And actually, just from the aesthetics, it reminded me very much of the show Severance. And I think that's because of the um, that retro mm-hmm. office aesthetic. Um because Severance, a lot of it was set in the abandoned Bell Laboratories, mm-hmm. and that looked very similar to me from what I was seeing in this trailer, and it also reminded me visually of the show Devs. Oh, um, yeah, I never got around to watching that. Especially what I now understand to be the board. Um, that reminded me of Devs aesthetically and just vibe wise Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just a very ominous vibe of I don't understand what is going on here but I know it is something very (laughs) profound (laughs) yeah it's really funny that uh you mentioned the thing about severance Mm -hmm. because Scott listened to the first few episodes of the pod Uh when we put them up and he was like, oh, gosh, it's so funny that Remy was talking about, like, this mid-century aesthetic of yeah. um, severance because that reminds me of control and, like, yeah. control's whole environment. And he's going to be so satisfied when he hears this episode. <laughs> and Absolutely. You, um, he was say, right like, on track. Oh. Yeah, I love that. That's so yeah. funny. The final thing that the trailer reminded me of was Dead Space. Have you ever played that? No, I haven't. 
the people that were floating in the air mm. and how they were moving, mm. it reminded me a lot of that game. Which I was, hate the way they move. It's so horrifying. Oh, I don't think you could watch and or play Dead Space. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, the way that these individuals float... Um, mm-hmm. And depending on, like, how far their infection has progressed, mm-hmm. basically that delineates different enemy types and how strong yes. they are. But some of them, it's like they they have, like, a thread pulling up from their belly button and they just, like, fly towards you on their backs and they're just, like, right. floppy and creepy. And I hate it so Very much. creepy. It's so That's disconcerting. That's why it me of Dead Space, which is... Perhaps the creepiest game I've ever witnessed. Is that the game that your friends would play in college and they would make you come sit with them? Yes, that is <laughs> So the that game. they wouldn't be scared. Correct. I love that. I'm that friend. <laughs> like, please come sit with me because yeah. I'm playing something that's going to yeah. scare me too much. Oh my god. <laughs> it was, oh, what a thrilling watch though. Love that game. Yeah. I, I've heard about Dead Space before. I've heard it, like, referenced, but, um, yeah, I've never seen any of it. But, yeah, the hiss is such an interesting enemy because it it doesn't really have, like, an end goal. Its goal is to just kind of infect people as quickly as it can because it's, like, a virus, but it doesn't yeah. have, like, an overarching goal, really. Um, I think it wants to corrupt the board it like wants to corrupt astral beings as well Mm -hmm. um and so i think that that's part of it and that's why the board is trying to get you to stop the hiss Mm. um it like really wants you to not let it get corrupted but yeah it's such an interesting playthrough i hope that they do make a second control just because i think that there's so much more left unsaid and so much more to unpack fun so i really really hope that and once i play through the the expansions as well i might have more to add to this conversation but um yeah it was just a really fun world to explore i mean even if there are elements missing from the story that i would have enjoyed uh, the world itself is enough to make me want to play it over again so i highly recommend it yeah and i think it's it's not like a ps4 exclusive or anything so you can play oh. it um on pc and xbox i believe is where mm-hmm. it's available so um if you do not have a ps4 or 5 do not fret it is available in other places as well. So very cool. I can't wait to watch someone play that on YouTube. You should. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah, the world was just so cool. So our friend diagram. Well, there's an obvious overlap in yes. that video you... games. <laughs> video games. Yes. That's it. <laughs> um to expand on that though. Video games as a valid vehicle for complex storytelling. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the game you're describing seems like a, a grand example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something that's explored in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow as Sam and Sadie are moving away from like the games of their youth that was like 
Donkey Kong and Ms. Mm-hmm. Pac-Man, where there isn't really much of a narrative whatsoever. Um, and moving into the more contemporary gaming, where story is really important. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the hearing you describe what you like about Control made me feel more certain that you would like Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow mm-hmm. because there are so many conversations between the uh, game developers and between the professor for the game development class and the students regarding mm-hmm. what makes a game not a shitty game. <laughs> I think the professor... I don't remember if this was like an explicit rule, but he might... He definitely was like, I don't want to see a third-person shooter game yeah. because that's, like, not interesting. Mm-hmm. And so none of the games described throughout this book are that requirement. Like, mm-hmm. they are all, like you were describing, people having more interesting abilities yeah. uh, for to put towards problem-solving. Mm-hmm. And so I think that might be something that really appeals to you yeah definitely i'm i'm definitely gonna check that out i think that i would really enjoy it as an audiobook if i could get it on libby um mm-hmm. another thing this uh occurred to me when you were describing the oldest house mm-hmm. as its own character within the game there is a game in the book called both sides that um, where Sam develops one world in the oh, game that's and so cool. C develops the other. And for all of the reviews and critiques of the game that you read in the novel, um, basically the main takeaway from the game is that they all describe Sadie's side as its own character. Oh, and wow. it's like exactly how you described the oldest house is That's exactly so cool. how all these fictional um, game criticism people describe this game in the book. So that reminded wow. me of Meyer Landing is what the that world is called. Cool. Um, is exactly like that with the oldest house. Nice. That sounds so cool. I'm excited about this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that, like, one of the areas that I wish that had been a a little more enriched is the main character's connection with the other NPCs in the game. Like, that's one thing that I hope that you get a little more depth in, like, control to. Because, like, yours seems to have so much rich... um, like friendship and rich mm-hmm. relationships um and like the only really rich relationship you get in uh control is the relationship between Jesse and Dylan and you never really get to see non his Dylan so uh. it, it just and also i mean Jesse clearly has a relationship with Polaris though Mm-hmm. And Polaris is almost like a maternal figure, which is a really interesting relationship that I didn't initially anticipate. There's something to be said for that relationship being well-developed and very interesting. Mm. 
Yeah. I think those are really good overlaps, though. And I love all of the world building that is clearly going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. creativity. I feel more confident you would like this book. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to go put a hold on it right now. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.